Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Welcome, everyone. For November this year, we're using a a different book that we haven't seen before, Sylvia Borstein's Happiness is an Inside Job. And I think you'll discover, as I had, that her unique Buddhist perspective on both the source of happiness and how we can bring happiness into our own lives is really a different way of approaching it. And I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. Actually, though, where I want to start today is someplace a little different. How many people here are familiar with the World Happiness Report? Maybe about 10 or 12 of you. So World Happiness Report. Uh, For the last uh, 15 years or so, they've been doing this. And it's a very reputable survey. They've actually normalized the questions across cultures. They have it in all the different languages. And and they survey people by asking them a variety of different questions in in addition to the the happiness aspect of it. And so I think it does uh, do a, a credible job of polling the world, if you will, in terms of how people feel about their situations, how they feel about their lives, uh, checking in, uh, truly, whether they're happy or not. And so I have the results. The 2018 results just got published. I bet you're all ears. (laughs) So I'm going to go through at least uh, the top 10 happiest places on the planet to live. Can you guess where they're located? (laughs) <laughs> oh, I heard. Okay, all right. I no, I've heard some. I've heard some of the countries. So roughly, the happiest places on the planet are in northern Europe, Scandinavia, and places like that. So number one is Finland, happiest place on the planet. Uh, number two is Norway. Number three is Denmark. Number four is Iceland. Number five is Switzerland. Number six is the Netherlands. Guess, though, who has number seven this year? It's our friends to the north, Canada. Canada is the seventh happiest place on the planet to live. And, uh, and you know, what I haven't been talking a little bit about is the income levels in these countries, too. Because you might think, right, these are wealthy countries that can afford all kinds of amenities for its citizens. But you might be surprised. Number one, Finland, the average uh, per capita income is only $23,000. The average income in Norway, 35000 so higher. But Denmark is down again, 28000 Iceland, 30000 Switzerland is, is up there among the top 10 at, at 36000 Canada averages 29800 uh, per capita. Uh, eighth is number is New Zealand. Number nine is Sweden. Australia is number ten. So there's the top ten. But I bet some of you want me to go on. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some of you want to know where we fit in. Well, we're not in the top ten, but we are in the top twenty. We are number eighteen. The United States is number 18 with its average income per capita of $44,000. Our average citizen is nearly twice as wealthy as most of the people in the top 10. It's like, get your mind around that. Isn't that interesting? So often we think that having a good standard of living equates to happiness. And although certainly we're in the top 20, uh, right? Extra money doesn't hurt anything. 
but not necessarily a solid predictor of happiness. And, and so along with the results of happiness itself, of course, they categorized the people. That's where some of the income numbers came from. Uh, but they tried to do a correlation of of what's going on in those places that might correlate to why people are so happy. And you know what they uh, found out? Some of the best predictors of happiness are not income. It is peace, stability, and social freedoms. It is social support, so knowing that there's a community center sponsoring events, knowing that uh, if people are in crisis, they can be supported, those kinds of things. Uh, another uh, correlation with happiness is a long life expectancy with full medical coverage. All of the uh, countries in the top 10 all have free medical coverage for everyone. Uh, another one is opportunities for themselves and kids in terms of education. All of the top 10 also have uh, secondary educations completely paid for. The next one is an interesting one too. Another uh, variable that highly correlates uh, with happiness is trust in their government and each other. Maybe I ought to just end this piece here. I think I, think I will just end this here. But, uh, but you know what? What I think is interesting is these aren't so much what I would think as things that promote happiness as they are warning signs that if you don't have those things, you're not apt to be happy, right? It isn't so much that if... Uh, uh, if one of those or more of those things are present, you will be happy. It's that when they're missing, when you need health care insurance and it's not available, when you wish stability or some, something, uh, some kind of tragedy strikes and there isn't a fallback system, when you are in a position of distrusting officials, right? Uh, if a country is known for the officials taking bribes and things like that, for instance, way down on the list. But certainly not money. In fact, uh, several uh, countries ahead of us on the list is, guess who? Costa Rica. The average income level in Costa Rica was only $6,200 a year. And yet they are rated much happier than we Americans at like 10 times the income level. So, so it really has to do with an inner light, I believe. And, uh, and some of those things we've been talking about are more like, well, if I don't have that, it's apt to take points off. Okay, now on to the book. And, and I think you'll discover even a, a more compelling story around happiness coming from within. Uh, but to launch that off, I have the world's longest joke. And you'll just have to bear with me. <laughs> On that one. Hopefully it'll be worth it at the end. Uh, we'll see. So a fellow is hiking in the Himalayan mountains, and it's getting late. He's still some distance from the next town. He starts walking more quickly, but it's dark. He can't see in front of him. Just as panic is setting in, there's a light ahead in a monastery. Come in, weary traveler, says the abbot who opens the door, and please join us for dinner. It will be a very happy meal. 
Well, dinner is held in a large hall with all of the monastery's inhabitants together, and all of the monks are very friendly. Our weary traveler, in fact, is a little confused. His picture of monasteries was supposed to be quiet and dull. These monks seem to be having way too much fun. All of a sudden, one of the monks at one of the tables stands up and loudly says, Number 24. The other monks start chuckling. One starts laughing. One bangs their cup on the table in agreement. Another monk then stands up and says, Number 37. A bit more obvious a reaction this time. The monks chuckle, a few laughing out loud, more cup banging on the table. Even the abbot laughs. The abbot sees the confused look on the traveler's face. My son, he says, we do love a good laugh here at the monastery. We always tell jokes at dinner time. In fact, we've told the same jokes so often that it just seemed easier if we numbered them. It makes things so easier just to stand up and say the number of a joke and we all have, we all have a jolly great laugh. Why don't you try it? Well, the traveler thinks for a minute, but says, well, why don't, well, sure. So he stands up and yells out, 45. More laughter, more stomping, nods of appreciation. Nice joke. Well, the traveler is quite pleased with this response, so he thinks, I'll try again. He stands up and shouts out, 112. Well, there's a moment of shocked silence. And then, after two or three beats, a deafening roar as every monk laughs loudly, banging on the table, stomping their feet, patting each other on the back, pointing to the traveler in obvious delight, some even wiping tears of laughter off their face. The traveler sits down again next to the abbot, feeling quite proud of himself. They liked that one, did they? Oh, yes, said the abbot. That was very good. They hadn't heard that one before. <laughs> <laughs> well, there are a couple of you that are giving that, giving me the stink eye over that one, but uh, oh well. But you know, that would be Sylvia Borstein's point here, is that true happiness is something that is almost an entirely inside job. The things that we find pleasing, the things that we find rewarding, the things that light up our lives so often are not necessarily based on physical outside stimuli. Or, or if they are, they're based, if you will, on how we interpret them. And that's what I want to talk about first. I want to do a quick reading from the book here as how it relates to this idea of our response to what's going on more than what's actually going on. There are three possible valences of emotional response to every earthly experience, whether it be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And here you might think for a moment, how many times in a day or even an hour, you might think to yourself, oh good, or oh fooey, or how boring, not much happening. The Buddha taught that these different flavors of experience are normal, just like the facts of life, that they aren't by themselves a problem. They do, however, have the potential to create unhappiness. 
if they are not recognized and acknowledged, they create thoughts that can carry an imperative for change. I need more of this. I want more pleasure. I must get rid of that or I can't stand this. The imperative agitates the mind into confusion and a standoffishness. If, on the other hand, there is enough equanimity in the mind to fend off this confusion, then wisdom can prevail. Then the mind can respond to ordinary neutral situations with goodwill, to frightening or unpleasant situations with compassion, and to beguiling or pleasant situations with a relaxed and non-troubled appreciation. So I want to talk about this idea of how we respond to the things that happen in our lives. Because if you are like me, I catch myself responding in a neutral or negative way often to almost any change that comes my way. So let's take the example here of the neutral one first. Something neutral happens in your world. Let's say, I don't know, let's say you're at work and the boss simply announces that the instead of the cafeteria being on the third floor, they're remodeling and the cafeteria will be on the fourth floor. Now, logically, this is a neutral situation, right? The people on the fourth floor may have easier access than the people on the third floor. That may be a, a switched around. But do we really care? The building has elevators. You know, life goes on. It's a neutral situation. And yet so often, even something neutral, can you just feel almost the number of people who would dig in their heels over that, right? Isn't it true that even things that are neutral, we will tend to dig in our heels? Well, why did they change that? Why did they go and change that darn thing? In fact, for those of you who were around during the holiday season last year, remember how we changed the chairs, the seating in this room around? And we had, I think in the vernacular, it's called festival seating, and it was, a, it was open in the middle and kind of theater in the round around the edges. Oh, you should have seen people when they walked in the door, right? What happened to my chair? Why is it set up this way, right? People actively kind of PO'd over the situation, right? And yet, exact same number of chairs, right? Just ordered in a little different way. Suddenly something that was neutral, Oh, the brakes went on. Literally, everyone in the, uh, kind, of, kind of in leadership at the church had people flocking to them. How many Sundays is it going to be like this? <laughs> Maybe we'll do it again this year. <laughs> then, what happens if the change that comes your way really does have a negative impact on you? whether it's a simple negative impact or one that's more dramatic, oftentimes what happens first? Our emotions come into play, right? It's like, how dare they change that? Don't they know that XXXXX will happen because of that change? Aren't they aware of the hardship that this will be for people who have children? Or, or can't they conceive of this issue as it's like taking money out of my pocket? Or, or whatever the change may be, whatever, whatever little piece of drama in the world comes your way, 
often our emotions come into play, as they should, by the way. I might mention, when someone or something happens to you in a way that provides a, a, a downside, if you will, that provides some negativity, it's only natural that our emotions come into play, right? Anger, sadness, uh, the feeling of uh, distrust or, or disloyalty as to what has happened. Nothing wrong with those emotions, but... Where do we go with those emotions, right? So often then we make conclusions and extrapolations fueled by our emotions. Well, they did that because the management team here is stupid. <laughs> right? Or that happened because that's about as good as it's going to get. Right? We make a conclusion that in the future, things are going to get even worse. Do you see the danger here at letting our emotions really propel us forward into making conclusions and predictions? So what Sylvia Borstein would recommend, that when something negative happens, instead we accept it, we feel the emotions, but then as soon as it's reasonable, we try to turn to compassion for ourselves and others. Do you see the difference here? Instead of, uh, instead of internalizing the hurt, instead of making a big story around what happened and how my life has been ruined or, or upset, when we switch over to loving ourselves and the other people affected, it allows us then to move on. It actually even puts us in a problem-solving mode where in our compassion, maybe we can mitigate things and actually end up with a good outcome or a better outcome. It's because we've allowed ourselves to process the emotions, to actually accept what has happened. Yeah, this is real. They really did move the cafeteria. Uh, you know, my, my benefit package really was cut by 10% or, or what, whatever has happened, right? We accept it. We feel the feelings. But, oh my gosh, Larry, there is suffering here. Let me extend some compassion. What can we do to alleviate the, perhaps fears that are lingering of what might happen next. What can we do for ourselves and other people affected? And when we switch it over to compassion, oh my goodness, that is where freedom can step in. That is where that sense of it, but the world is still a safe place can sneak in. That is where we can look forward still to the future with equanimity because we're not thinking this is just the negative portent of worse things yet to come. We're not allowing that emotional impact to rev us up into uh, some alienation of us against the world. Interestingly enough, though, Sylvia Borstein says, we also have a little work when something good comes our way, right? When something good comes our way, naturally there's this feeling of uh, 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 just effervescence in our lives, isn't it? We want to just embrace whatever that goodness was, whether it's a sweet new relationship, whether it's some condition that's improved. And yet there's the warning here, too, of overly identifying yourself with that. Right? She says the correct response to a positive experience is simple appreciation. Not saying this is what I deserve in the future necessarily. Not saying that uh, from now on it's always going to be like this. Not 
counting on a, a raise of 10% every year, right? Not allowing it to affect ourselves in ways that we have defined ourselves with the good, but rather simply just enjoying it. Just looking at it and having a simple appreciation so that if things change again, we're not feeling like there's expectations that are no longer being met. We're not feeling that sense of disappointment, but rather we can be once again in that place of neutrality when things change. So how easy is this, do you think? <laughs> Some of you are already imagining what the homework assignment's gonna be like, right? So how easy is this? Well, first of all, we have to be aware that it's happening to us. And so one of the things I think that this month will be really asked to do is almost install a little bit of a filter, if you will, in our mental processes. Because most of us, when changes come up, when we're confronted with something good or bad or neutral, uh, we just wait in, right? We don't really think about it. It's like, oh my gosh, this happened, right? Either I'm elated or I'm upset or whatever I am, it's more of a reaction. And what I'm suggesting, what I'm really asking you to do, and it is part of your homework, is to begin installing a little bit of a filter so that when something happens, you go, oh, look at this. <laughs> something has changed and I'm having a reaction to it. And what I would like you to do this week, and you don't need to do any more than this, is notice that something has come up and evaluate your reaction as it pertains to reality. And so when the change comes up and you notice the change, ask yourself, is this a positive change? Is this a negative change? Or is this a neutral change? So that's all I'm asking you really this week to do. I think that'll be plenty because we're not really used to noticing when things happen that much. So notice that something has happened. You're having a reaction to it. Uh, extra credit would even be to put a label on how you're feeling, right? That's the extra credit. We're going to talk more about that next week. Uh, but just notice. So this was a neutral thing. Why am I feeling angry about it? Or this was a really positive thing. Why am I not really feeling the satisfaction? It's like, why, you know... A, a really sweet thing happened. Why, why am I not feeling any sense of joy or satisfaction? Or uh, it may be a perfect match. You know, this rotten thing happened, and yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling rotten about it. So the filter is going to be there just to notice that something's happened and that you're having a reaction to it. And then question in your own mind, is it really a positive thing? Is it really a negative thing? Or is it a neutral thing? Make sense? Okay, so why, why do you think we're being asked to do this? I think we're being asked, uh, I think Sylvia Borsting is urging us to really evaluate how often our reaction to things are not in, uh, if you will, in alignment with what really happened. How often we play things up big when maybe it was really a small change. How often do we catastrophize? How often do we make something that perhaps is only marginally negative into something that's just shutting us down for a week? Right? Okay. So uh, let's review really quickly here. Uh, first of all, outside circumstances can put a squeeze on our happiness, right? We learned that from the um, 
um, the World Happiness Report. Uh, when some of our rights are non-existent, when things are taken away that we expect, in particular in areas of peace, stability, and freedom, social support, trust in government, opportunities in education, when those things are either taken away or non non-existent, it's difficult for us to maintain a level of happiness. It's also difficult for it happen to blossom when war and disease and those issues are present. Ultimately, though, happiness comes from within. It is our reaction to our own lives. So less about what happened and more about our reaction to it, our ability not to get sidetracked into drama or things that would create unhappiness. Happiness can be best found when we notice our responses to events and our emotional responses are natural, but they do need to be managed. There is a time for grieving, there's a time for feeling the pain, there's a time for loss, and then there's the appropriate time to move on. Last thing I want to talk about uh, before our closing prayer is something that all three of these different types of responses have in common, and that's the idea of acceptance. One of the other things that can preclude happiness is actually accepting the facts of it. Have you known folks who, uh, whose response to something bad happening would be just, this is not happening to me. I am not going to acknowledge um, that overdue property tax bill. I, I just, I can't deal with it. I'm just putting it aside. Have you known people just to simply reject something that has happened in their lives? The trouble with this is, is uh, on the metaphysical plane, they're saying that the life that God has given them is not sufficient or good enough. And it's in that place of... Uh, uh, of really being at odds with your own life that you will find it very difficult to experience love, to experience happiness. Uh, you're basically saying, my life itself, there's something wrong with it. And when you find that level of fault in your own life, you are not going to experience the good of life in other areas, uh, even in your life. So how do we do this? And I'm not saying that we accept everything that happens to us as good. Of course not. There are legitimate, absolutely, things that need to be grieved, that things are upsetting. But nonetheless, we take it in and we say, yes, this too is part of my life. Perhaps one day I will be stronger for it. Perhaps something will good from this will come later on. But I do have to accept that, that what came my way did come my way. When I'm at odds with my own existence, happiness almost by definition dries up. And so whether it's good, whether it's bad, whether it's neutral, whatever happened, we acknowledge it. We allow ourselves to feel the feelings. We don't just deny them, stuff them, and hope to carry on as though nothing happened. We need to have those feelings. We need to process them. We need to take ownership of what happened, move through it with as much grace as we can manage. So I'm going to close with a prayer today. There is one power and one presence, one life, just this one thing, this one consciousness of God. 
And I know that I'm right in the middle of it. I know that I am not separate for it, that it moves through me and as me always. Because of this, I know that I can accept the life that is coming my way. And I do. I accept the good, the bad, the neutral. I have the appropriate feelings. It is part of being a, a, a spiritual being, having a human experience. And even when I am nonplussed with it, even when it, it seems to be bad, I recognize that, that I can deal with it with compassion. I offer to myself and others that compassionate heart that comes with a tragedy. And I move forward. As it is true for me, I know it is true for everyone within the hearing of my voice, for everyone on the planet, that each of us can accept our lives just as they come that when something neutral comes our way, we can experience the, the goodwill of just noticing it. That when something negative comes our way, we can have compassion for ourselves and others. And when something positive comes our way, we can celebrate with easygoing appreciation. This is the nature of God moving through us, transmuting even things that may on the surface not seem positive into something that it at least brings compassion. And so for this, I give great thanks. I give great thanks for these wisdom, this wisdom from Sylvia Borstein, grateful for the chance to be here day in and day out in this blessed thing I call life. And so I release my prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be, and together we say, and so it is. Thank you for being here today. So appreciative. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.